LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Today, I'm Derek Hanna. And I'm Scott Sanders. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centered ministry every week. Now, we are focusing on growth barriers. Mm-hmm. When when did you develop as a, an amazing cricket player? Like, oh, was it 13? Oh, I'm so was glad it 10? you asked that. Well, you know, just some things. Was there a growth barrier for you in your, things, cricket, in your cricketing ability? You know, I've had those movies with geniuses where, you know, as a child they exhibit those things that other people look on and stare with awe. You know that? Yeah, I'd never had that moment. But uh, I imagine if you know, if I was Steve Ward, that's the moment I would have had. <laughs> no one knows Steve Ward, do they? Anymore? No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. He once tried to buy a, um, uh, an <laughs> air pump off me. No, that's a true story. He did. He tried to. <laughs> anyway, the one thing's brought to you thanks to Geneva Push, the Australian Church Planning Network, uh, which is why we have cricket references here. Anyway, we're also pr- proudly part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, and we would encourage you to check out their network page, our network page on iTunes, and see all of the other quality Christian podcasts that don't talk about cricket ever. You should go and have a look at them. This is the only Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network that talks about cricket regularly. That is true. But for now, you've pressed play on episode 67 of The One Thing in the Growth Barriers special, Breaking 75. And I think this is a really important one. The reality is most churches in Australia don't get past 125. In fact, most churches in Australia are actually with 50 or, or below people. Over these four weeks, we want to really press into the growth barriers of 35, 75, 125 and 200. They require a shift in your leadership thinking. They require a shift in the thinking of your people as well. And so we want to spend some time thinking through those growth barriers and how to push past them. It's not just Australian context, though, is it? In America, the average church size is only 75. Like I know we often um, will hear of the churches that are much, much larger, but it's not the case for most churches. Yeah, that's that's right. There, uh, There is a you know some social realities, which we've, you know, we've talked about Dunbar's number, or we'll talk about Dunbar's number in our next in our next episode. Uh, but there are some social realities that... that just mean it's hard to push past. And often and often we've got to take responsibility as pastoral leaders. They're actually the realities of our leadership and, and, and we're actually the blockage. We've actually got to push past some of uh, to, 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 to get that growth. Which is exactly the purpose of this uh, series of podcasting, exactly what we talked to Conan O'Shea, who is the senior pastor at Lighthouse Church on the central coast of New South Wales. So we caught up with him to hear his thoughts about pushing through that 75 barrier. <laughs> G'day, Conan. It's uh, it's great to have you, Conan O'Shea from Lighthouse Church on the Central Coast in New South Wales. Welcome to the One Thing. Hi, guys. Can you give us uh, a bit of context, Lighthouse Church? What's the history? Yeah, so Bluna and I moved up on the Central Coast from Sydney uh, about thirteen bit years ago. Uh, we had a small group of uh, adults and kids that went to a local church, another FIEC church, um, about twenty minutes away. And we gathered with them uh, monthly to kind of go over vision and mission. And then we launched in 2006 um, at a local high school. And so since 2006, uh, what's been the sort of growth trajectory of, uh, of Lighthouse? Yeah, so we grew pretty quickly initially um, and got to self, being self-sustaining in the first year financially and numbers-wise. And then have gone grown more slowly. We did actually have a difficult time probably five or six years ago, and uh, we lost uh, 30 adults 
um, and kids. So that that kind of set us back. So uh, paint a picture for us. So you know the the average Sunday at the moment at uh, at Lighthouse. Yeah. yeah, around a couple of hundred we have at Lighthouse at the moment each Sunday. You spoke about growing really quickly in that first year. So. Uh, and, and being sustainable. Now, everyone out there listening, that is not the ordinary course. You know, generally churches are, aren't sustainable for four or five years and even even not until eight years just because of the growth that happens in a, you know, in a regular church plant. But I think one of the interesting things from talking to you beforehand is uh, to think through why it is that um, you push through that quickly. Like I know there are circumstances, we can talk about them in a second, outside of you. But I think one of the things in talking to you is that you were probably more prepared for that barrier than other people we have spoken to in how you think about it. So maybe if we can ask you, what just to point to what were the external things that pushed you through that quickly, and then I might talk to you, what was your, what was your mindset um, that had prepared you for pushing through that quickly? Yeah, I don't think I thought a lot about that 75 barrier. I mean, 13 years ago, it felt like church planning wasn't as much of a thing. It was obviously going, but it wasn't like everybody was so well thought out. Geneva didn't exist. Uh, we were bumbling along trying to do what we wanted to do. So, yeah, I didn't particularly think. I just thought, how can we be sustainable? So the financial sustainability was obviously a massive thing. So we had to prepare our heads for that if we weren't going to be sustainable. So we bought a house without a guaranteed income and we thought, well, with my wife or I had to work, we'd do that. Um, we had the core and we I spent every month driving up and meeting with them and then weekly in December and then going in January the next year for the actual um, public launch. And so we, we worked pretty hard of, of making sure that the launch team knew exactly what the vision was, what our expectations was, how big we, we desired to be. Um, and so we worked out some structures then for integration and dividing up into the maturities and M's and that type of thing in a kind of rudimentary way. Again, the M stuff, the M structures were not really all that. I mean, you know, Rick Warren was around and Andrew Hurd had thrown out a bit around, but it wasn't pervasive everywhere so but we had did some have that some of that structure already the thing is you, you you thought intentionally about some of those key growth ends like your welcoming and integration uh your small group yeah. structure that you realize that you need to be thoughtful and purposeful and intentional about you know what you were trying to achieve in those in those small groups and and i imagine yeah. children's you know children's ministry and and how you might have a creche ministry and have a kids ministry were going to be really important in in the context that you're in yeah, so we had all those lined up, and that was talked about in the you know, the eight months leading up. We had worked out key leaders, volunteers to be able to, to lead them, made sure they're trained up, made sure they're on the same vision that we had as well. Um, and all the structures, you know, the child protection, all those bits and pieces associated with that as well. Uh, we also, with the, the thinking about intentionality, we also started off with Simply Christianity, um, and we put that on every single term. And I kind of thought, are we going to have someone there every single term? And for, I, mean, I can't remember how long we did that for, five years until we changed to life um, or my own version of life. And we, we did, we just put it. And the one thing I suppose that helped was, is it, it trained people in church knowing that that was going to come every month. It was an expectation and it was also the pathway. So they knew where to invite people to. Uh, and so the, the benefit was it had no input in the sense that I just rocked up five minutes preparation, walked downstairs, opened up my book, had something to eat, and we'd have people there. And it meant people were saved. And people at church knew that's where they were to invite people to because we shared the, the, the stories about when people were saved as well. So the, I think the biggest thing I've gone through is I was a touch point because I was a mission person and I was also a membership person. Every single new person ended up being quite connected with me. Mm. 
and that was bad um, in several ways that they expected a relationship with me because I was a person who kind of engrafted them and then I was also the person who often evangelized them and then got either did more to more um, follow up with them or ended up um, getting them to be followed up. So it meant that everybody expected to have kind of an input with me, regardless of their maturity or wisdom or vision. Uh, and also, I should have gone the kind of 80% rule, like if you can get someone to do something 80% as well as you, get them to train them up to do it. So yes, I may have been able to welcome people better, may have been able to evangelize people better, but that ended up me being the person doing all of that. And then that meant that I maybe that could, I don't know if it's a, a correlates completely but maybe that would have been a part of the reason that we had some people leave they didn't get a say i mean there's all the stuff associated with that but if i uh, what's happened now is because i don't oversee the membership stuff i still oversee mission but it's now we're much bigger and life is more disconnected and i'm not evangelizing everybody one-to-one -one. Hmm. Uh, it's more structured rather than being flat uh, and that's been really helpful Well, that was Conan from Lighthouse Church in uh, Central Coast, New South Wales. Uh, if you want to see the full interview with Conan, you can go to our show notes. We've put a link there, and you can see everything that he had to say. But we're going to pause for a moment. Uh, we're going to dig into some of the things that, that Conan raised that uh, Scott's been researching. He's been doing a lot of reading in this and talking to pastors over years. Scott? Now, well, what's interesting about Conan is he, he's a church planter. Uh, you know, so... So he's had to evangelize this church into existence. You can clearly see just from his his conversations uh, that he has a, a a real desire, a real urgency uh, to reach the lost. Uh, it just came, you know, just came through, you know, the whole way through that uh, that interview. And so, you know, if you're coming to a church that's been established, uh, that's been plateaued, that's at about this size, then I think what's really important for you as a leader is to have just a contagious desire to grow the church. Uh, you, know, you saw, you know, from the start, Conan put in place an evangelistic structure, just a simple, simply Christianity course. He said it was low input, not a low, lot of work, uh, so that he could just start raising the evangelistic temperature of the church. He put in a whole bunch of structures and systems that he just slowly built over time. You know, a, a summer fest. Uh, you know, working on the on the gathering, the week to week gathering. Uh, getting prayer in their growth groups. So they intentionally called them growth groups. There was, you know, prayer for mission. Uh, that was a key aspect of of the growth groups course. You saw that you know over, over time he he built this momentum, and he and he still had to do that just for a church plant. Uh, when you're coming into an established church with established norms, you as the leader have to just exude a, you know a contagious desire to grow, and 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 you've got to drive that that missionary mindset, that that mind shift that needs to take place often uh, in in your congregation that's in front of you. And I think this barrier is an interesting one because particularly within revitalization of churches, often this can be the number they're hovering around. And unlike a church plant where there probably is a trajectory of growth already, so it's still hard to break through it, but you still, you know, you've got some momentum to do it in a church that's existing. Wow. You've, you've got a fair bit of work to do in order to raise the heat and build the structures in order to get momentum to push so, through that. So you've got to spend time with leaders. You've got to spend time with the lost. You know, with the leaders, you've got to be you know, putting this vision in front of, in front of people in, in practical ways. You've got to be giving the whole church this, this, bigger, this bigger vision for the lost uh, that are out there. Uh, and you've got to be addressing it in your preaching. You've got to be addressing it in your small groups, school groups culture. You want to let the Word of God actually you know, drive that. And I think a key fundamental part of this is regularly praying 
you know, for the lost and making that a part of your growth groups and your, or your small groups, making that a part of your, uh, your large service, putting on special, you know, monthly prayer meetings where, where this is the focus in your one-to-one conversations, in your leash, we, we need to be praying, you know, about, uh, about the lost. Even as we're talking to Connor about the, uh, changes that he implemented lightly at the start, but were ready when he hit that barrier, which made the movement smoother. The changes, like he, he had structures that he would run a life course, an evangelistic course, every single term. Uh, he had a membership course, which was an opportunity to cast vision. Um, yeah, so these are things that aren't always there well, before we get to the 75, but which he realized needed to be. So fr- so friendships, you know, it's ordinary, it's normal at this stage. You know, you can, you can know everyone. It's not... It's not large enough, but if you want to push past this barrier, you do have to start building those structures, those next step structures. You've got to be more intentional about your welcoming. You know, you're just starting to get to a size where you know, you know, you you can't know everyone, and so you've got to put in that welcoming and that newcomer system. You've got to start putting in those those evangelistic structures and those membership structures that enfold people in that that also cast that vision and remind people this is what we're on about as a church. We want to reach out you know, to our local community and see uh, ever-increasing numbers. And and I think the the other aspect of this as well is understanding, you know, what is your growth engine? What is your growth dynamic? You know, so they're in a low socioeconomic area uh, on the Central Coast. Uh, children's ministry is, you know, key. It's really, it's really important. You know, so they needed to resource that well. They needed to uh, fund that well. They they needed to work harder, you know, harder on discipling and, and raising up raising up leaders. So their small group structure, you know, their maturity engine needed to be strong, you know, so that people were discipled uh, and and matured to be able to fill the leadership positions in the church, but also to have that maturity to 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 want to and you know desire to take the gospel out. One of the things, tricky things about this stage is getting the balance right as you move between it. Because before this, it is highly relational. Mm. Not that it's not highly relational afterwards, just in a different way. You, you're the focal point. That's right. You are the focal point beforehand. And in some ways, rightly so, because you do need to mobilize and gather. And you can't act like a church of 125 when you're 35. Mm. It, it's weird. It is. So I've been to churches that have been 35 <laughs> and they're acting like a mega church. The big, the big band out the front. And... It's so weird. I'm just the only guy standing, sitting in the audience and everyone else is on stage. So you can't be that. But at the same time, when you, you move, want to move towards that 90, you can't be the 35. Mm-hmm. And so that that change in between and, and when and how you implement stuff, how prominent you make things can be very tricky. Yeah, that that's right, and uh, and and I think a key part of that is you not in you not becoming the focal focal point is to is to start to raise up those leaders, mm. but also the the change that you need to make is I think um, you know Conan spoke about sort of that you know eighty eighty percent rule. Now he wasn't talking about the Pareto principle, the eighty twenty rule. He's talking about the it's eighty percent is okay. Uh, you know you may be able to do things better, but you will become the blockage. Um, you might be able to explain the gospel to someone, but actually. You have only got a limited capacity, uh, and as a church grows, you've got to be, you know, focusing on other things. So actually, being okay that it's eighty percent right enables others to do the ministry and enables you to not be the significant blockage there. How do you go with being eighty percent okay with stuff? <laughs> I'm getting better and better at it. I think. I, I think it was a real. I, I think I had to go through that change, uh, you know, in, in my leadership. Uh, I had to give give up stuff and give up the the fact that yeah, I can do it better than that person, but actually, I just don't have time. Mm. And uh, and I need to spend some my time on other things that only I can do. Well, what were the hard things? Just to dig into that, because that's an important one. What was hard about? Like you could do it better, but that's not necessarily a hard thing. There's lots of things that happen out there that you could. Do I, I mean, I could do it better. I enjoy it too. You know, like I enjoy doing it. 
you know, even hearing you uh, today, you know, talking with Conan about assessment, uh, you know, that's coming up. I felt your pain, you know, I felt your pain in that. And I went, that was me, you know, like 24 months ago. <laughs> Wanting to make sure it, it goes yeah. exactly the way I want it to. <laughs> that, that, that's it. But but that care and that love for people. I mean, I, I would genuinely love all the planners that have come through the network, even the difficult ones. Toby, you know, you know who you are. <laughs> um, that's and, code. That's code. Yeah, that's... <laughs> just generic Toby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dog's name. Um, and, uh, and in... You know, and 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 you got to hand that that responsibility over. Mm. And so it was really nice to you know to see that you're caring and going. Isn't that great that you're caring? And that's exactly what I want. I want you caring about that. Yeah. So it's the it's hard, isn't it? Because you're you're more godly than me. So it's the <laughs> outcomes we do care about. Like we, you know, I could do. And one of the things that Conan said was, it's hard to give up that last conversation after Christine explained because that's the exciting point as well. And you want to do that right, move someone you know into the kingdom. And, well. and he could he can do it better. He can do he it sees, better. He sees more fruit. Absolutely. So there's an outcome that you don't. There's also for, and for me, this is more my problem than yours. I'm sure no one else struggles with this. Um, I actually get. When I hand stuff over to people and do the 80%, they're not going to do it as well as I would do it, I feel, and that will reflect badly on me. Mm. And so people will think, well, you're in charge. And they, yeah, I am in charge. It will, but but what reflects badly on you in that situation is that I don't think you've understood coaching well. You know, you actually you haven't actually handed over that and actually coached them through it. Um, and I think as well, I think it just takes time. They they will do it better than you. Yes, you know, like you are doing it better than me. Yes, now. everyone everyone does stuff better than me, and that's okay. But that is an important thing, isn't it? Actually, moving being, people and being patient that that it, it yep. will happen. Raising people and the EV guys talk about this really nicely. They always talk about when you're raising up people to, to do stuff, you are lifting them up. Mm. You've got to stop setting the bar so, bar so high. You've got to keep remember we're all down here and we were lifted up, and so we need to keep doing that. Yep, that's good. So coaching leaders and staff, the eighty percent rule, excellent. What else? A critical uh, critical phase often in this is actually the need to employ you know employ more staff. So at this stage, I think often the mistake is we we hire doers, we hire people who are you know good at doing ministry because we think if I can just get someone else to do it, uh, it, it, they'll they'll be able to do it, and then I can just hand it off. The reality is we actually need to hire multipliers. We need to hire people who can work through leaders of leaders because if you want to keep pushing through the next growth barriers, we're actually going to need to have a staff team that is actually working through lay leaders. And and in, by employing another person, you're actually increasing your you know your span of care, increasing your influence over leaders of leaders in the uh, in the church. Okay, that word multiplies. So as I've had this conversation with a few people uh, in the past few years, and I've said you know you've got to work out. You got to work out how not to employ a doer, but a multiplier. Often people expect the word after not a doer is to be a leader. Don't employ a doer, employ a leader. But actually, I'm saying we're not saying don't employ someone who can lead. We're saying employ someone whose primary drive is to multiply rather than just making themselves a focal point. Mm. Yeah. What are the characteristics of some, of a multiplier? Well, you, I mean, you talked about there the ability to to delegate, the ability to uh, give feedback. Uh, well, I think the ability to look forward and to to manage, you know, a, a structure and a system that doesn't rely upon themselves. So they need to evaluate. They need to plan. Uh, you know, they to a certain extent they they do need to know. You know, they need to know enough about the ministry to be able to ask the right questions and evaluate. But they don't necessarily need to be the best kids. You know, kids church leader or you know the best, um, you know, the best muso or uh, even the best Bible study leader. One of our friends, common friends, who shall remain nameless, uh, no, by her own words, would not be an IT guru. She consulted to an IT department a while ago to help them think through how it is they could multiply their ministry, grow their ministry, move into teams. Doesn't have expertise in there, but she's an excellent multiplier. And that's the kind of person I think you want to... How is it you help them move forward? That's right. Yep. All right, Scott. 
What have you got in your toolbox today? Well, uh, over the next few weeks, I do want to you know point to a key you know growth barriers book, and we'll have to go in the past on some of those. Uh, but probably the probably the best growth barriers book is a book by uh, Carl George and uh, and Bird. Uh, how to break growth barriers. It's it's an old one, but it's actually been reprinted. Uh, how to break growth barriers by uh, by George and Bird. It's the best. Uh, it's the best growth barriers book I think uh, that's out there. Uh, there's an article that always gets pushed around. Tim Keller's articles. We've referred to it before, but it's it's a really good one. You know, so jump onto that. And the final one is um is a podcast a, a podcast by Craig Tucker on this uh, on this topic. Uh, I think Craig is you know excellent on this. And so jump back into that podcast and and have another listen. Uh, some of the things he says in that are, are just you know vital and uh, helpful to think through again. Alrighty, we're going to throw back to Conan. The one thing that people should be taking away when it comes to breaking through that 75 barrier. Don't let everybody be connected to you and grow leadership. I'm going to put a semicolon in there because um, that's uh, that's things. good. Yep, no, that's excellent. <laughs> Mate, thanks for your time today. No worries at all. Now, The One Thing's part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, and there is a new podcast in the network, what? the new kids on the block. Have you seen the Unseen Leadership Podcast? Uh, hosted by Chandler Vanoy and Josh Hunter, they explore the unseen stories that have made leaders who they are today. It's a, longer, you know, a bit longer form podcast, so if you're going on a longer run, uh, if you've got a longer journey, this is the one for you. Uh, a bunch of young leaders, uh, excellent guys, uh, looking at you know what's ahead of them by exploring the early days of uh, of experienced ministry leaders. So check out the Unseen Leadership podcast on your favourite podcasting app or or what or website. All right, so tech savvy. Alrighty, thanks for joining us for another episode of the One Thing. Coming up up in our next episode of the Growth Barrier Special, we're going to tackle the. 125 barrier. And we're going to be talking with Rory Shiner from Providence uh, City in WA for his insights experience on breaking the 125 barrier. I'm Derek Hanna. And I'm Scott Sanders. Chat soon. Mm-hmm.